So Dave, be honest with me. Which of our favourite animals are in the most bother? Uh, well, I mean, the ones that are in the most bother are little creepy crawly ones that no one likes, but the ones, the big fluffy ones that everyone likes, right? Dormouses, they're in bother. Hedgehogs, Giant fluffy dormouses. Giant fluffy dormouses uh, were sleeping, now in bother. Hedgehogs, uh, a thing called a skylark, which is a type of bird, and turtle doves, right? So, that, you know, it's like the 12 days of Christmas. There, there literally are just two turtle doves left, almost. My name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast, where this week I'm joined by Dave Powell, who leads on the environment for NEF, to talk about the state of UK agriculture, particularly in light of Brexit. Most farmers would argue their job is to produce food, but farming can lead to a loss of habitat. Do you notice the absence of sparrows or wonder where the butterflies have gone? Well, that's why. Quite a lot of people are beginning to realise uh, what is happening. Agriculture is partly blamed. I think farming is part of the picture, but I don't blame farmers. I blame the way that we have farmed. Some conservationists are asking, controversially, that money set aside for farming is spent on biodiversity. Some of the most familiar creatures that we know and plants are closer to the brink than perhaps most of us thought. So hi, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Kirsty. Unlike David Cameron, you are a Dave that is still in the position that you were in last time we spoke. That's right. Uh, Although anything can happen, I suppose. (laughs) Dave Powell resigns live on air. (laughs) So a bunch of conservation and research groups released a big report called State of Nature last week. What was it all about? It was about the state of nature. Uh, So what you had is 50, 50 of the biggest, the conservation groups everyone's heard of, RSPB and many, many others, have been out counting wildlife. They've been out from the very top of the country to the very bottom of it, counting like bugs and birds and beetles and dormice and all that sort of thing. My mum does it. My mum goes out and helps count stuff. It sounds sounds lame when you tell tell me an actual example. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Um, And and what they found is that uh, of what they've counted, the majority of it is not in a particularly good state. So over the last 45 years, more than half a species are doing worse than they were before. And the other thing they did was they mapped against this thing called the red list, which is a sort of way of telling whether species are endangered or not. They mapped 8,000 species in the UK against it. 15% of the UK's wildlife species are either already extinct or on the verge of becoming so. So it's all looking a bit grim. Okay, is it like hedgehogs with no prickles and birds with no wings? Uh, yes. <laughs> so why are so many UK animals at risk of extinction? And can you give us a few examples of ones that are on there not, not looking too good? Well, so there's two things going on. So there's the, the extinction issue and then just the general kind of downturn in, in, in species stuff. And there's two things going on. So first is climate change. And this is obviously a more recent phenomenon where what you've got is the country's getting warmer. So species that lived in the south are now able to go further north, which is great for those species. Because the north is great. Because the north is great. Northern, northern power mouse and that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's not particularly great if you're a northern power mouse that lived there already because 
numbers, then you get muscled out. And so what's happening is, on average, the number of species is going down because species, the, the bigger, tougher species are moving further north and muscling them out. So that's one thing. Climate is a thing. But the other thing is agriculture. And the report's authors were super, super clear that the number one driver of what's going on is what they called policy-driven intensive agriculture. Okay, so not animal gentrification. So what are farms doing that puts species at risk? Well, so first thing, it's not we're not talking about all farms here. So some farms are different. And the report was very, you know, gave a very good example of a farm where wildlife has done phenomenally well. Thank you very much. There's different sort of ways of doing it. But in general, the last 40 years of farming has seen much more intensification, much more use of pesticides and fertilizers and the creation of monocultures and deliberately actively trying to get rid of things that eat the crops you want to grow. So effectively a war on nature of various descriptions and the chopping down of hedgerows and all of these sorts of things. It's just how farming operates. It's how farming has increasingly gone and is still going. I guess they're just thinking we are farmers, not necessarily we are, you know, the people here to save nature. So are UK farms doing better on other environmental measures? See, this is the thing. In general, farming, if, if you look at all the things in the UK that might mark a healthy environment, so how climate change emissions, for example, it's in the agricultural sector that the worst stuff goes on. So the most incidents of water pollution, for example, come from farms. Or uh, if you look at the climate change plans that the government has and, and the reports that the government gets on how it's doing on cutting emissions, it's agricultural emissions that are the hardest ones to crack and aren't really going anywhere. And Is that only like cows and methane type stuff? Cows and methane partially, but also just the emissions that come out of tractors and the emissions, you know, how people, the fuel that people use and how farms are run. And there's less attention on it and there's less interest in it. Only half Half of all farmers that were surveyed by DEFRA even thought they should be reducing emissions, never mind are. Okay, so the National Farmers Union disputes the findings of the report. Uh, they say that farming techniques in the UK are less intensive than they have ever been, and so it doesn't make sense to blame these changes on farmers. Do you think they're wrong? Um, all I can do is point to a couple of people who know an awful lot about this. The first people being the people who wrote the report. These aren't people throwing bricks through barns you know these are these are <laughs> rspbs and, and and that sort of organization and in very measured language and very carefully they said it is farming that is doing this it is intensive farming that's doing this what the national farmers union say is they say yeah but in the last 10 years it, there's been less intensification if you like or even you know we, we're not doing as badly as we were before but that's because a lot of the th actual technology has changed so pesticides 10 years ago 20 years ago you would cover a field in pesticides and that was intensive and that was bad now you can do things like you can use neonicotinoids, which is when the actual seed themselves is a pesticide. So you plant it and it grows and the plant is perpetually wildlife resistant. So technically you're using far less pesticides, but you're still having the same impact, if not more on nature. Is that kind of pesticide seed good for humans? Well, so one of the things, uh, glyph oh, can't pronounce it, glyphosate. glyphosate, you can pronounce it, very good. <laughs> um, that's been described as a ticking toxic health scare waiting to happen. Usage of that in the UK is up 400% in 20 years. Um, and it's one of the things in America it's used to uh, alongside GM crops. So they breed GM uh, glyphosate resistant crops, uh, which you then uh, cover in this stuff, kills everything else and the crops you are trying to protect is fine. We don't have that yet here, but the 
the health impact of that is an increasing amount of evidence. The Soil Association have been flagging this up. More and more studies saying, oh, it might be a bit dodgy for health. So there are a lot of people saying, yeah, we don't really understand the health impact of all of this. It doesn't sound tasty. Um, so Neff has argued that agricultural subsidies play a part in the UK farming's poor record on the environment. Why? Okay, Uh, so let's explain what's going on here. This is all a thing called the Common Agricultural Policy, uh, or the CAP, which I'm sure everyone's heard of and everyone finds very boring. But it's not boring, it's very interesting. It is basically, it's a thing that emerged after the Second World War, where there was a production problem, we'd had a war, and farmers were incentivised to produce. And it got to a point where 70% of the EU's budget was being spent on farm subsidies. That's now 40%. In the UK, it means farmers get £3 billion in subsidies to farm, basically, of which the vast majority, 70% of that, is just you you have land of X, so you get subsidy of X. It's just essentially f- subsidy for being a farmer. And, you know, you have to comply with the law on stuff. The rest of it, 30%, 700 million pounds, a chunk of that goes to what's called agri-environment schemes. So, for example, in the UK, you can apply for money to clean up a hedgerow or deal with soil runoff or rewild a field or something like that. So it's not that no money goes to green stuff, but it's not enough. And the vast majority of all these subsidies are merely just paying farmers to be farmers. Okay, so now we're leaving the EU. Uh, I guess the common agricultural policy is is up for debate. Um, Do you think that we'll still keep UK farming subsidies? Do you think that we should keep farming subsidies, whether from the EU or the UK? So this is a really tricky one. So nobody thinks that the current system works very well. The system that we've got just, you know, you can get paid not to farm. You're effectively paid per unit of land that you've got, pushes up land prices, not efficient. But if you did get rid of farm subsidies overnight, a huge amount of farms would go out of business. 55% of the income of farms on average is subsidy. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's extraordinary. No, it's (laughs) absolutely extraordinary. That is not income. (laughs) No, it's absolutely extraordinary. So what you definitely couldn't do is just get rid of it overnight. Now, there are proposals on the table to get rid eventually over time of all of the non-greeny bits. So the only thing you're subsidising farmers for is for doing good things to the environment. And that probably makes sense over a long enough time period if you can get there in a careful sort of way. But actually, there's it's a mistake to focus just on the subsidies bit because subsidies are just one part of our food system. They're just one part of the way everything works. So let's make sure we do lots of other things as well so that, for example, controlling the power of supermarkets to force down the prices on farmers so that subsidies are needed in the first place. Okay, so as you say, farmers in the UK are already struggling, but at this point, sounds like we're subsidising farmers just not to ruin the environment. Do you think there's some other kind of regulation that needs to come in here? Well, you're totally right about it. If you actually stand back and look at it, the idea that you would, even if you got rid of all but the green subsidies, the idea that you would actually be paying farmers not to destroy the natural world, which is not what farmers particularly want to do, I don't think, is strange. And regulation has got to play a huge part in it. You know, if we don't want uh, nitrogen fertiliser to run into the rivers, we should just be regulating much more effectively and enforcing much more effectively that sort of thing. Um, And again, you know, the subsidies is only one part of the problem here. Let's look at um, how much meat we eat. Let's look at the demand for all of this stuff in the first place. Let's look at the power of the supermarkets. Let's look at the food policy in the round. The New Economics Foundation in 2014 did a report called Urgent Recall, which looked at all of the hidden costs in our food system that the price that you pay in the shop just doesn't cover. We estimated up to £26 billion a year is borne by everyone paying for things like the emissions that farmers emit and that the 
health of our food and the obesity crisis that it causes and all of these things that our food system in general is responsible for. And what's absolutely clear is that now we've got this chance to look at subsidies again. We actually need to look at our entire food system again, a root and branch review, if you like. <laughs> Good. Rather, rather, <laughs> rather signposted that one. Um, but I guess, wouldn't you say, um, at least um, uh, there's certainly environmental arguments for it, that importing our food is the real problem, not only for uh, the environment, but I guess also for, for British farmers when they're looking to compete? It's an issue. And um, one of the things you might have heard talked about is food miles, um, which is, you know, it is it is daft to be importing moms too from Kenya in the middle of the winter, or even worse, apples from New Zealand when we can grow our own apples here. And that's something that's happened over time, actually, partially as a result of the way subsidies work, in that it's just become cheaper for UK farming to do things like cereals, where we can export that stuff, do it at great volume. Um, compared to other EU countries, hardly anyone actually works in UK farming. It's great big fields, it's mechanised. Um, other countries where they do a lot more horticulture, a lot more fruit and veg and that sort of thing, it's much more labour intensive. And UK farming is in a bit of a dire strait. This is one of the reasons why no one thinks the subsidies system works. It's ageing. It's hard for young people to get into it. It's not an attractive profession. It was incredibly reliant, and this is something we don't know what's going to happen, on migrant labour. Um, 90% of people that work in fruit picking, uh, fruit and vegetable picking, are from the EU. There you are. Uh, the other day. Yeah, and, and so all of these things, how the UK now positions itself in Brexit and what it offers, just like with everything outside food, how it positions its economy in general, it's got a choice between low standards or quality. How's it going to sell itself to the world? If it decides it's going to go for quality, which we think it should, it's going to have to look at its food policy more generally. Okay, so as you say, Brexit does mean that UK farming subsidies are a bit up in the air right now. Do you think the government is planning to change them or anything else uh, to do with our environmental policy or our agricultural policy, uh, given these problems that have been identified in the report? Well, um, uh, on the one hand, the omens aren't great. So Andrea Leadsom, who's the Environment Secretary, has said that she wants to keep subsidies basically as they are. She didn't say for how long, but she gave the farming community a, a commitment. Uh, George Eustace, the Farming Minister, and Lord Gardner, another Farming Minister, both own farms and get farming subsidies and uh, Greenpeace exposed this in a wonderful a wonderful bit of work um, and the power of the National Farmers Union who claim to represent all farmers but don't by the way they speak for a certain you know certain types of the farming community is massive I was outside Parliament just the other day and they had three tractors on College Green which is that bit where all the interviews are generally done looking like tanks for all intents and purposes parking their tanks on College Green's lawn and giving asking MPs to sign these pledges that they would keep British farming competitive so all of that is on the one hand. So the politics is, is what it is and the cap is controversial and what we do about it is controversial. On the other hand, this system doesn't work and everyone knows it and the cap is unpopular and the idea of having to spend the £3 billion that we got via Europe and having to do that here when we actually have the opportunity to go, well, can we do this a bit differently? When we can look at everything in a Brexit context from a different lens that's what should be happening. So it's a question of whether the politics crowds out the thinking space and crowds out the chance to do things a bit more sensibly. Wow, I didn't even hear about those tractors on, on College Green. If, like, teachers had parked their teaching vehicles on College Green, I'm sure that we would they'd have been absolutely slated in all of the national media. Dave, thank you so much for bringing to life something that we don't really get to talk about a lot here on the podcast, agricultural policy. <laughs> Exciting stuff, thank you. You're very welcome. We'll be back at the same time next week.
Let us know what you want to hear and tweet us with questions or comments. You can find us on Twitter at Weekly EconPod. To get new episodes every Monday morning, you can subscribe for free on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, or you'll find us in the podcast app of your choice. And finally, thanks to everyone who's left a rating or review on iTunes. It really helps other people discover the show. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.